2: Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, Paul Waugh, Graham Dominique and Ned Simons. This week there were yet again more questions about Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labour Party, Parliament-marked International Women's Day and there was a rare defeat for the government. But first of all, is this the week the first manoeuvres were made to begin ousting Jeremy Corbyn as Labour leader at the weekly meeting of Labour's Parliamentary Party on Monday? Corbyn tried to rally his loyalists and told MPs who aren't happy with him to stop the sniping. But Some MPs in the room weren't willing to stay quiet and urged Corbyn to show some passion for the EU in campaign, while others talked about the local elections, Corbyn's poor poll ratings and his failure to connect with working-class voters. I caught up with Labour Rising star Stephen Kinnock in Parliament this week to get his view on how the party is doing. First up, I asked if he wants to see Jeremy Corbyn making a more passionate case for the UK's EU membership.
4: Yes, I would like to see our leadership out there more. Yep, absolutely. I would like to see a big set-piece speech, for example. Why, you know, I, I wonder why we haven't heard one yet. Jeremy's spoken quite a lot in the Chamber in this, but I think it would be great if he went to a business that does a lot of business with the rest of the European Union and made a speech there to the workforce, something like that. He might even want to roll up his sleeves like the Prime Minister <laughs> does. Um, you know, we need to make that positive um, left of centre case for the EU. And it's, it's one, of course, we hear a lot about uh, the rights that the social chapter has given us, mater- ma- guaranteed paid maternity and paternity Uh, Guaranteed number of days leave per year, the working time directive, these are all very good things. But for me there's something deeper in all of this, which is, you know, I'm a socialist because I'm pro-European, and I'm pro-European because I'm a socialist. Uh, The fundamental values of social democracy are cooperation, solidarity, working together... Uh, And I think the EU embodies that. It is about working with your partners, giving a little bit, taking a little bit. That's what it means to be in a community and what it means to be uh, a socialist. So I think that those values are all in line with what Jeremy thinks and believes. I'd like to see him get out there and say it a little bit more. And one final point on that is we do hear this uh, thing about... You know, the austerity coming out of Berlin, and uh, that this is, you know, a Euro project that we don't want anything to do with because it's a kind of neoliberal conspiracy. How on earth would the UK leaving help that context? What we need is a Labour Prime Minister around the table in Brussels making the argument for a more Keynesian uh, economic policy, making the argument for. Uh, the European Union to be founded on jobs and growth and solidarity uh, and not on you know the, the austerity and the neoliberal orthodoxy that we currently have. Leaving the EU will not help the people of Greece.
2: So there we are, uh, Stephen Kinnett there, calling for Jeremy Corbyn to roll up his sleeves. Um, Paul, you're at the PLP. Was that very much the thinking from a lot of Labour MPs in the room? They want to see Corbyn rolling up his sleeves, not just in the EU, but on other aspects of the Labour Party at the moment.
5: Yeah, I mean, it was one of the features of the, the meeting this week that Barry Shearman got up and said, can we have a bit more passion? You know, we're in real danger of losing first referendum if unless you actually get engaged with it and use the party machine on the streets. Um, so there's a bit of that. But also what happened at PLP was that uh, the women in the Labour Party, some, several women MPs, confronted Corbyn over his views on legalising prostitution. And there was a real sort of sense of anger there that he he'd talked off the cuff and he'd yet again didn't realise that actually he's not a backbench anymore, he is a Labour Party leader, and what he says in a, a meeting to students is actually so really matters. So what, did, what did he say about prostitution, then? He, he just had a one line to a student in which he said that um, he believed in decriminalising prostitution. Now, that gets into all sorts of trouble about what does that mean, does it mean not penalising the clients, does it mean helping the women. Uh, anyway, there are lots of people like Sharon Hodgson and Fiona McTaggart who spent years trying to help, prostitutes um, get out of the trade and people like Stella Creasy who said that you know, most, more than half of prostitutes go into prostitution under 18 the vast majority of them are, are vulnerable and use uh, uh, substance abusers so they were trying to say look you just don't understand the issue. So, but that was almost like a not a sideshow, show but it, just a sort of a bit of a lightning rod for the way the PLP still thinks about Jeremy and afterwards yet yeah, what happened during the meeting was you had a series of people who got up and spoke in his defence. Now, for once, Corbyn had gone to that meeting and put in place some loyalists who spoke up and said, look, let's stop the PLP bitching. Let's stop. It It doesn't look good. It's undermining us in the local elections. And afterwards, we had um, Jeremy's spokesman came out and to all the gathered hacks outside the committee room. And he said, look, a line's been drawn in the sand. Uh, You know, the the mainstream of the PLP has asserted itself. Um, Now, those remarks actually then caused, in turn, a even bigger backlash from some of the Labour MPs who were there, who said, one MP said to me, and I, I won't quote the swear words, but um, I've never briefed before after the PLP, but that was an effing disgrace. To the, what the game is, it's obvious, they're trying to blame the PLP for what's going to be his disastrous performance in the May elections, and we're not going to buy it. It's so obvious that we're losing because Jeremy is shit. Now, so, you did use that as well, I did <laughs> use that, Sio. Uh, which is, you know, Anglo Saxon. Um, so, that just gives you a hint of the, the the difference there is between the PLP and the leadership still. And, you know, I mean, they're not on their own, those MPs.
3: And, and haven't moderates set their own kind of line in the sand? There have been a number of briefings, uh, including lots of big numbers relating to the local elections. And the, the biggest number is 434 which seems to be the average number of seats that a, 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 a opposition party going into government should gain in, in the local elections. So that, from, from the moderator briefing this, is how many seats that Jeremy Corbyn should be gaining in the local elections in, in, in May.
2: Well, before we go on with that, before we bring Ned in on this, I just want to get, a bit more of the interview with Stephen Kinnock here, where I actually put to him, because earlier in the week Jess Phillips said she couldn't envisage Labour winning the general election. And I just put that to Stephen Kinnock whether he ever, whether he saw uh, Jeremy Corbyn as prime ministerial material, and he was quite interesting with what he said. Let's have a listen. And,
4: and Jeremy, in getting elected, had clearly tapped into a uh, the, the, the hunger for a different language and a different kind of politics. The 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 big question is. Uh, when people look at him, do they see somebody that could be the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom? And I think we will know a large part of the answer to that question following the elections on the 5th of May, and also based on how the Labour Party carries itself now through to the 23rd of June uh, and the referendum. And, And, you know, Jeremy, as any leader, gets judged on performance, gets judged on results. So until we see what those results are, you know, opinion polls, I think what we saw with the 2015 election, they're not worth the paper they're written on. About the the only poll that matters though? is the vote.
2: OK, you talk about the vote, so what's the criteria then? If you're looking at we'll get the answer from the vote in May, what What are the range of answers there could be? Is there Is there a set number of seats you've got to win? Has you got, got to deliver a Labour mayor in London?
4: Britain. Yeah, I think we need a Labour mayor in London. We need uh, a, a big jump forward in the council elections in England and we need Wales, uh, in Wales to hold on well uh, to uh, government in Wales. Uh, and I think I mean I think Scotland very very problematic uh, but we need, you know, as an absolute minimum to be coming in as a second party in Scotland. And if you don't get those things, then questions about the leadership Absolutely. I think uh, any, any leader of any political party is judged by their results, and, and we need to set ambitious, uh, challenging targets for what we want to achieve uh, in May. And if we're not reaching those targets, then of course questions have to be asked.
2: So Ned, there was uh, Stephen McKinnick. It was quite clear then that there absolutely will be questions about Labour leadership in May. if He doesn't get the things he set out there. But this will suggest to me that... Will the, the Corbynistas, the people who are really back him, the people that have joined the party in droves, if there's a disaster in May local, in the local elections, will that bother them at all? Will they still stick by their man? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm sure they will. I think if he doesn't get meet this criteria that Kenett set out there, I think the Wales one was interesting actually, saying that the Welsh parties to hang on well in going kind to of be quite, quite hard for them because UKIP's doing quite well there. You I think we expected to get nine, M- y- nine yeah. Uh, members. AMs, of the yeah. yeah, I think the Corbynistas will just say, you know, if he doesn't do well, we'll think we'll see it's the media's fault or hasn't had enough time yet. So I don't think it'll really dent the his fans' confidence in him. I think if we then see moves against him from moderate MPs or kind of reinforce Corbyn support, I think the more uh, kind of moderate MPs attack him, I think the more his hardcore support in the party in the membership will defend it, particularly the newer members as well.
2: So if Corbyn does if Labour don't do well in May, and it's generally because they don't do well, we're going to see a bunch of Corbyn supporters saying this is the media's fault and and, it, and, and the people in the PLP who aren't supporting him enough, it's not Corbyn. I yeah, right. there's a split yeah. and,
1: and the reason the party's divided, I think they will blame, whether reasonably or not, um, Labour MPs, not Corbyn, not the leadership.
5: Yeah, um, that certainly will be what the Corbynistas will say. They'll say, and it it was clear from the PLP, they're going to blame Labour MPs for division, blame them for any kind of poor results. Um, But let's be honest, you know, you talk about doing well in local elections and there's various measures of that. Stephen Kinnett was really, really interesting there because he said not just about holding on well in Wales, he's talked about a big jump forward in English council seats. Now, that is part of the 400 or plus... Uh, bar that has been raised by all these uh, so-called moderate MPs. He also talked about Scotland. Um, now, it's true, Scotland, you know, Labour's not going to come third, let's be honest. So he, he set quite a low bar there. They're going to beat the Tories. He said say. a minimum of second, which is yeah, a minimum a but, second. But what's interesting about it is, and as we revealed exclusive this week on Monday, Finally, this game is coming to fruition, the game of will the Labour MPs do anything about Jeremy Corbyn. Now, there's a race against time for them because they think that in September that um, people on the left are going to change the leadership rules to make sure that Jeremy automatically gets on the ballot in the future, if, if he's challenged. Now, at the moment, the rules are quite opaque, and, if not silent, on what happens to a sitting Labour leader if they're successfully challenged. Um, people who don't like Corbyn have, say they've easily got the, the required 50 names that they need to, to launch a leadership challenge. And I'm told that they now think that July is the time to act. They're not going to act before then um, because, and we'll come on to this, as Jan, Dan Jarvis pointed out today, you know, a lot of the focus for Labour has got to be on winning the European referendum in, on June 23rd. But it's seen as one last shot July to actually get rid of him because they don't do anything. The rules may well change in September.
2: So, as you said there, today the man many see as the Labour leader in waiting, Dan Jarvis, um, sought to hang some political views on his almost, almost impeccable backstory that he has. He was in the army, don't you know, never gets mentioned. And with a major speech on the economy, he said Labour is a party of work and jobs, and also said new Labour didn't do enough to tackle the falling wages of workers. He even echoed Tony Blair's famous tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime line by calling for Labour to be tough on inequality, tough on the causes of inequality. Now, was this a coincidence this week that Dan Jarvis suddenly pops his head up above the parapet and starts fleshing out what we've always wanted from Dan Jarvis, his actual political views? Or was this part of, as you just hinted there, Paul, a slow road towards getting Mr Corbyn out of the leadership
5: position? Well, we all asked him today, after his his big speech on the economy, relentlessly the question, the leadership question, and he, and he battered it back, he ducked it. Um, he didn't want to engage with the idea that this was some sort of uh, attempt at dethroning uh, Jeremy Corbyn. In fact, he said at one point, look, you know, uh, there's no suggestion, you can't make any implication for my remarks, criticism of Jeremy Corbyn. In fact, and he then rather cannily said, Jeremy Corbyn is all in favour of an open debate within the party, and that's what I'm doing. Isn't that what Michael Douglas said after he got sacked? Exactly. <laughs> but they, they, on, the, on this bar for the local elections, Jarvis, like Kinnock, went further than most people have. Jarvis said, we should be taking councils, not losing them, taking councils. Now, that's pretty hard. Um, when you you look at some of the opinion polls right now, of course, in normal times, an opposition should be taking councils across the South and in the West Midlands, all these key areas. But the latest intel we're getting is that Labour may well lose key seats like Dudley Council, Southampton Council, God forbid, for Ben Bradshaw, say, even Exeter. Um, And if you lose all of those then there's something wrong with Labour's message in the south of England, and that's what really, really upsets a lot of these Labour MPs, and they think that will give them the reason to act. And also, just finally, Jarvis made the same point as Kinnock. This is about real votes, not polls, real votes. Yeah. And the only thing that can, you can judge a politician on are votes in the ballot box. Graham and I, um, last night, should we say
2: Carry we're, on. we're on the bars? <laughs> yeah, not we're off. gonna
5: to
3: do that. A journalist goes. Is, it, is bars this Carson Mandelson, speech? by yeah. any chance?
5: What do you mean? Ah, if you were in the bars, you would have noticed that in Strangers' Bar last night, wait for it, Peter Mambleson was spotted for the first time in years. Well, we oh, once again, <laughs> we missed the <laughs> <escape to laughs> <me>. That's <laughs> of um, afternoon. And guess either. who was in tow with them, Mr. Michael Duggar. Anyway, Owen, over to you. What were you doing in the bar last night? Well, we <laughs> got Mr. <not> McHugh's <anything, got, laughs> <missing a> <laughs>
2: story. <laughs> We drinking. didn't see Mandelson, did we? No, we didn't no, see Anderson, did
3: did Anderson. Anderson. We saw the pairing. other we saw the other half of that pairing, the the interesting the the uh
2: the people we were speaking to in the bars last night, the Labour MPs. <laughs> they were
3: universally in, a, in, in 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 grim in grim moods. One MP we spoke to compared to um, compared to Labour Party at the moment to being an Aston Villa fan, watching gleefully kinda of watching the goals kinda of go in and knowing you can do nothing but nothing about he, it. The, the MP it also it.
2: said but it's like watching the team scored all the own goals. Yeah, like being thirteen nil down, but your team scored all the goals yeah.
3: against yourself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and pretty much everyone we spoke to raised the similar points that you've been raising in terms of what the bench, what the benchmark, what the benchmarks are of, for Corbyn. Um, one council in particular kind of kept kept has kept coming up in Plymouth, in the southwest of England, is a place where um, Labour has has a, seat, a majority of just two seats at the moment. Um, and in normal times, it should be kind of really adding to that majority. But the fear is that the, the that city might might go. That's a kind of swing kind of area that Labour should be taking in good times. So again, there was this kind of this, this gloom seems to be kind of enveloping everyone.
5: What surprised me is that the Corbynistas have not played this expectations game very well. I mean, they they haven't been saying, look. Four years ago, you know, Labour did really well under Ed Miliband. You can't really expect us to do that well again. That's not normal. They haven't been doing that. Um, and, in fact, John Trickett didn't impress many people again at the PLP this week. But Jarvis's speech, one of the interesting things about Dan Jarvis, the big question about Dan Jarvis is, has he got it? A lot of Labour MPs wonder, you know, is he, has he got the passion? Has he got the oratorical skill? Has he got the intellectual weight to do it? That You, you hear them say this all the time. Today, at least, he made some kind of... Sketched out future for Labour's economic vision, and it, it, it was obvious what he was trying to do. He was trying to do the Miliband analysis about inequality, but not with Miliband solutions. He was trying to say, Look, we'll have some radical solutions of our own, distance himself from new Labour, but he tried to sort of square the circle, and that might be just enough.
3: There's this idea sometimes that I've heard a couple of people say that he's got a really good backstory, but he hasn't got the front story now down yet. And there was a bit, there seemed to be a bit of that today, and I thought it was interesting the kind of. Derek had the word triangulation in his speech. Is that a bit too bit too pompy? So kind of trying to hold two positions at the same time, both appealing to new labour rights and the kind of hard left as well.
2: Dan Jarvis, former army man, leads us on nicely to uh, Graham's stat of the week. Jingle stat- for that at all? Yeah. Every week we go through this. Every week keep going through it. There's no jingle. until we get. But we're never going to get one.
1: I thought we were. Read co- the
2: stat of the okay.
3: week. Right. to put my place there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there are currently fifty military veterans in the House of Commons. 46 Tories, two Labour and two DUP. So, who were the two Labour then? You've got Dan Jarvis yes. and Eric really Joyce, He was, but he's um, um, longer uh, with us. Who's the um, other one? I thought
5: Dan was the only Labour right. of Come on, you must know this. Go on. Come on, Owen, put us out of no. that Go
3: on. No, I was going to say Clive. Clive Lewis. Lewis. Clive Lewis. Does he
5: count though? He's a territorial, isn't he?
2: Yeah, he's a veteran. International Women's Day took place on Tuesday this week and Parliament marked the annual event with a debate in the Commons. The most poignant moment came when Labour MP Jess Phillips read out the names of every woman who has been murdered by a man in the UK in the last year. The Commons remained silent as she read out the names of the 120 women and girls aged 13 and over killed in the last 12 months in cases where a man has been tried and found guilty or or charged or believed by police to be the primary suspect. Here she is beginning her speech.
3: In 2015, a woman was murdered in the UK every three days. Women murdered by men that they should have been able to trust. Commonly women are murdered by their partners, husbands and boyfriends, but also in some cases by their fathers, their sons, their brothers. We wish to give voice to honour the women who died. Today I stand to honour every victim and the fight to end violence against women.
2: I caught up with former Labour leadership contender Yvette Cooper to ask her, in the light of International Women's Day, whether the Labour Party itself has a women's problem.
0: Uh, I think we do need more women top positions. I think that's something we have always campaigned for in the Labour Party. As a party, right through from Keir Hardie's work to support the suffragettes, we have always championed women's equality, and it's been at the heart of what we've stood for. Uh, And you could look at so many things we did, from the Equal Pay Act, the Equality Act, Sex Discrimination Act their work on uh, childcare, and extending maternity leave, parental leave, flexible working, uh, rights for part-time workers, so many different things that we championed, and also a lot of the support for things like the minimum wage and tax credits under a Labour government all helped get women out of poverty um, as well. So it's a huge amount of things that we've done, but it's, we're, we're going to be insurgent in the party about this. This is always something we should keep pressing for more.
2: When you say insurgent in the party, what do you mean by that?
0: It's something that um, I think we have always seen for women in the Labour Party. It's why we've always got a women's conference, a Labour Party conference, and are always calling for what are the things that we need to do next in terms of women's equality. So, for example, I think that... We should now be looking at not just the sort of harassment that you get on the streets, but the kind of harassment or misogyny that we see online, Are you and what should that? be you the get... response. Do you know? I don't think this is about MPs. Okay. I actually think this is about women across the country. Because look, MPs, there's always going to be debates about you know people disagreeing with you about things, and that's what you should expect if you're an MP and in public life. I think that the problem is the kinds of uh, misogyny and abuse that you see that silence women that can silence teachers or teenagers or people in all walks of life and so that's where I think we should be doing a new campaign and one of the things that I'm uh, working on now with Jess Phillips and with Stella Creasy is we've been uh, looking at launching the Reclaim the Internet campaign just as we did the Reclaim the Night campaign in the 1980s so that's what I mean about there's always more to do, more new areas that you should be campaigning on.
2: So it was uh, International Women's Day this week, as I said, which is obviously a very worthy day, which is which is obviously much needed and gets people talking about issues that are important. But there are some other days around the world which get marked.
5: Oh, I feel a quiz coming on. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't like where this is going.
2: Okay, this is a quiz. It's got a the grin, quiz of the week, And I'm going to give it's... you a list. I'm going to name you some days and you've got to tell me whether they're true. If they're true... A day in the life. Right. If they're not true, day tripper. Oh, that's
5: good. A tribute to George Martin. I like that. That's good. Right, okay.
2: So if they're not true... Not true, day tripper. (laughs) Right. Okay. ready?
5: And if they are true? Day in the life. Uh, Day in the life.
2: All right. International have a good cry day. (laughs) (laughs) Is that today? (laughs) I feel
1: that's day
2: tripper. That's sounds like you making it up. I think it's real then.
1: Day in the life, I'll say.
2: It's day tripper. (laughs) It's obvious, isn't it? Uh, International World Kindness Day.
3: That sounds like <laughs> it probably that's is That's probably true. true. Yeah. yeah. Day yeah. in the life. Day in the
2: life, yeah. That is true, It's on November the 13th. Oh, nice.
3: So, uh... Look forward to that.
2: <laughs> International Towel
3: Day. <laughs> Towel? <laughs> Towel. <laughs> Toweling yourself down. Um,
5: Day Tripper, surely that's too mad, even for some UN But But some of these days
3: can just be made up by marketing Department of ta- towel, towel manufacturers so <laughs> well maybe you well end there in a towel i'm, I'm yeah. gonna go i'm gonna go for a, a day in the life i think that. I think day
1: tripper i think you saw a towel in your house yeah uh it's true <sighs>
2: 25th of may <laughs> as a tribute to douglas adams <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. if you've read he told the so yeah. you'll know that yes yeah mr Wall nodding in agreement there uh Manatee Appreciation Day. <laughs> what? Manatee Appreciation Day.
3: Keeping that in. Sorry. <laughs> manatee
2: Appreciation Day. So manatee a day we all
5: appreciate to... manatees. There's the things that look like walruses, aren't they? The like walruses, aren't they They're sea cows. Yeah, sea Seacal. cows. Is that Day of the yeah. Life or Day Tripper? <laughs> day I, day of Life. I think yeah, Day, day, day Tripper, life. it sounds like one of your curveballs that,
2: you that... No, that's that's true. Day in mean, the Life, that is on uh, March the 30th. What's coming up then? Yeah. Uh, just trying, have, you got, have you got a card? <laughs> International <laughs> defragment your hard drive day.
1: No. Come on, that's... day Daytripper. That's, I don't believe you.
2: That can't be true. Day It's, it's not true. Okay. International Pi Day. That's yeah, got to that, be true. true. I, I wish i knew when it, it, it would was be, as well.
3: It would be for shame if there wasn't.
2: It is true, but not what you're thinking. It's pi is in the number. It's an annual celebration <laughs> of the mathematical uh, constant. And it's observed on March the 14th. Because Ooh, that's three, soon. 3.14
1: in American oh, way they write it. Oh, get it. 3.14. Okay. I thought you looked too smart when you asked and that finally, question. And finally,
2: international by following Farage Day. <laughs>
3: Next. <laughs> I don't is that the 29th of February? That's like the end. end. <laughs> that's, yeah,
2: that's the end of this week's quiz. Thanks to Ranja Farage, who has been helping us out this week, put that quiz together. The government suffered a defeat this week over its plans to extend Sunday trading hours and to be honest, it wasn't even a close call. Some 26 Tories voted against the plans, which would have allowed larger stores to open for longer on Sundays. Bit of a problem when your majority is effectively 17 of 26 vote against. The rebel Tories join with Labour and the SNP to keep Sunday special. The defeat was even more embarrassing after the government offered a last-minute concession that would have seen the changes initially limited to 12 pilot areas in England and Wales. But Speaker John Bercow decided not to select the amendment, meaning the government suffered the defeat. Graham, you were keeping an eye on this. And first of all, the SNP voted against this... Yeah. But it doesn't affect Scotland.
3: It doesn't affect Scotland directly. Okay.
2: so what's the the justification for this?
3: Uh, Yeah, it doesn't affect Scotland uh, directly. They would argue that it affects them indirectly. Um, And there's been a long-standing principle um, that uh, the SNP don't vote or abstain from issues that don't don't affect Scotland. But their argument has been that there will be an indirect uh, impact on the so-called Scotland premium, which is when Scottish workers... Uh, work on a Sunday they get an an additional bonus and the argument that they put forward is that um, if multinational uh, UK wide firms have to roster extra staff on a Sunday it might have a knock-on effect for Sunday, for, oh, for for, for working, for mean, working north of the border, right? Is that a little bit so, thin? I, yeah, you could you, you, you could argue that, but also there is this, there is the, the, the secondary issue to do with English votes for English English laws that, um, that, that they argue that they their power has been reduced or they've been been reduced to a second class citizen because they're not allowed to, to to vote on on matters that involve England only. Um, so that's been their that's been their argument that it will it will affect Scottish workers and they're protecting Scottish workers. So that's why that's why they decided to vote. And the, the important thing would have been that if they had voted or they, sorry if they hadn't voted, the government would would have won quite quite comfortably. Um, so the kind of well, they won't, won't the issue that did emerge on the SNP proved to be quite significant.
5: And the, the, obviously they've still got fifty four MPs. That's a quite a chunk of parliamentary. Uh, representation, which means they do have a veto over some stuff that they want to really make fuss over. But let's be honest: the government actually, despite the SNP, would have won if it persuaded its own Tory rebels to yeah. stay on board. This, and is poor, this is poor whipping, right? It's not just poor whipping; it's 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 poor practice by the Treasury and by Biz, both of whom should have got out this compromise a lot earlier try to then squeeze down the numbers then scare the hell out of uh, your your backbenchers by saying do you really want to side with the Scotsnats mm. on this but the big problem i've got to say is that amongst that that 27 who did rebel um 25 plus two tellers anorak note um they um include some deeply devout christians and it's not just the old guard like people like um you know edward lee but some new intakers who actually genuinely think this is a matter of of religious conscience. And there's no way any whipping can change those people's minds. And that's why I think this actually, although there's talk about bringing it back, I don't think they have got a hope of bringing it back, because... These people are digging in. They won't be swayed by one-on-one chats with the prime Ministers with What they had this week, they—they're just, you know, they've got a point of principle. So I don't know why the government's going to push it. If I don't are. know why.
2: Because, I mean, it's—it's it's an issue that—is uh, there a massive call for this? It seems like a, a bizarre fight to pick on both sides. It seems a bizarre fight to provoke your your rebels into rebelling. In a, you know, obviously the religious beliefs aside, but it seems a bizarre thing to rebel on as well. It seems really odd to me. And is there
3: a slight issue of Cameron coming a bit of a bit of a lamed up prime minister, in as much as he had these personal chats with MPs, and it seems to have no make no difference whatsoever because they thought, well you're saying this, but you'll be gone before 2020. So. Or even if the referendum is mm. right, the wrong right, way. Right, right, absolutely. So, so there was a kind of subplot in terms of whether his authority stands for How damaging was it for Osborne, do you think, at all? Or I think it was very hopes? damaging
5: for George Osborne because he, he, he had his personal stamp on this. You know, he was the one who trialled it after in, during the Olympics, thought this was a great idea. Um, he pushed it just after the, the budget and after the general election, thought it was a great wheeze, they're Originally not backed by, by when Greg Clark tried to bring it before the Commons, you know, he, he smelled the wind and thought, Oh, god, this isn't going to work. And he pulled the vote. Then, you smell um, the wind, you're going to do something, aren't you? And then Osborne yeah. persuades Sajid Javid, one of his best pals, to put it in an enterprise bill, another bill, and we all saw the
3: outcome. I love this idea that we've all, a lot of people have, have kind of written up that Osborne is the master, tact, master tactician. I've never seen and any evidence of this yeah I mean well, we you are having the general election to be fair,
5: yeah, but you know, come on that 's really important. He won a general election, and he masterminded a lot of that, but you 're right the big on the, the big surprise stuff. has been since the election the biggest surprise in politics in Britain for me since the election has been how bad Osborne has been, not just on tax credits, getting that completely wrong, but getting the pensions reforms, which were going to come in the budget next week have been dumped because again, he got that wrong about what how many back would like it getting this Sunday trading thing wrong, you know, something is deeply going awry with the Osborne operation.
2: Well, we'll see if in next Wednesday's budget, he manages to redeem himself in the eyes of some of the Tories. Thank you very much for listening and join us next week.